0: drink the cup I drink or will be baptised with the baptism I have baptised with. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they came indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know what those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you instead. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even, For even the Son of Man did not come. To be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, as a ransom for many.
1: Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to be together and with uh, see lots of new faces, new people that I haven't met. Uh, I am so happy. Uh, some of you, most of you, may be used to. Be in groups again. For me, it's still a bit odd, and we only returned from South Africa a week and a day ago. Uh, and where we were still in lockdown, still not allowed to meet in large groups. So, like, whoa, lots of people. <laughs> what do I do? No masks. It's all a bit strange for me still. Uh, and it, it's amazing the effect it has on us. Uh, thank you for that reading, Joey. Uh, great reading. Uh, We are working our way through the book of Mark, and uh, through the Gospel of Mark, Uh, and we are going to focus on this passage today. If you want some more information about the rest of what happens in Mark chapter 10, uh, if you look on your seat or somewhere near you, there will be the Watford Word, and on the second and third pages, there's a whole exposition of all the missing bits that we're not covering today in Mark 10. We're going to focus on this passage, Mark 10, verse 35 to 45. And in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we are focusing our eyes on Jesus to see what we can learn from him. So let me start with uh, two questions. Just answer this for yourself Are you a leader? And then the second question, are you a servant? Now, if I ask these questions for myself, if I think, am I a leader? um, I would describe myself as a reluctant leader. (laughs) I occasionally get asked to lead, and I'm like, I don't know, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Can't someone else do it? That's kind of my, my attitude and mindset about, uh, if I'm asked if I'm a leader. Am I a servant? Uh, let's not go into domestic squabbles here, but if you'd ask my wife if I'm a servant, she'd say, well, um, uh, occasionally.
0: <laughs>
1: I do pack the dishwasher and I unpack it. Uh, so yes, I, I, I do sometimes do the, the job of a servant, uh, but it's not one of my great qualities. Uh, It's not, I'm not the kind of person that uh, people would say, wow, he's always busy and always doing things. As a child, uh, I managed to get away with, I grew up in a family with uh, four brothers, so five of us in the house. Uh, But because I was the kind of the brainy, nerdy one, my mum always allowed me to be on my own and being with my nose in the books and the encyclopedias and and things like that, while my brothers had to work in the garden and clean the kitchen. Uh, So uh, this whole idea and concept of serving is, is one that's quite strange to me. It doesn't come natural to me, just like leadership doesn't come natural to me. Some things take longer to learn than others. Uh, especially when it's so deeply rooted in our character and our beliefs and, and the way we think about the world, our thought patterns, some of the foundational things that, uh, that we live, our culture sometimes. And we see this even with Jesus and his disciples. Even before this passage that we read today in Mark 10, if you go and look a bit earlier in Mark 9, in verse 33, this whole thing started already. When it says in Mark 9, verse 33, they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So a chapter earlier, we don't know time-wise how long before that was, maybe a week or so, a few weeks. What were you arguing about on the road? They were arguing already, earlier. Verse 34, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So this was not a new debate. They've been having this for a while. Verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Who wants to be first must be last and must be the servant of all. So here in Mark 10, Jesus realizes like they didn't quite get it the first time. So let me explain a bit more in a bit more detail. And he starts actually off with some warnings about leadership. He talks about there's a cost to what we desire. Now, when I asked that question, are you a leader? And you thought, yeah, I'm a leader. Maybe you are that ambitious person. And it's not like there's something wrong with that. Uh, We need leadership. The world needs leadership. But for those who have ambitions to lead, Jesus has a few warnings. He says, there's a cost to what you desire. He says, are you able to drink the cup of leadership? And then there's even a warning of how not to lead. In verse 42, and I like uh, the way it's translated in the message. He says, you've observed how godless leaders throw their weight around. And when people get a little power... How quickly it goes to their heads! It is not going to be that way with you. So Jesus has some clear warnings about, and for those who have ambitions to lead, where that desire to uh, to rise up and to lead others. But even Jesus himself realized there are limitations and boundaries to observe. The very king of creation, the very king of this universe said in verse 40, But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for for whom they have been prepared. Even Jesus himself knew and respected the boundaries and the limitations of his authority. So those are some warnings for those who have aspirations to leadership. And we're going to move on from there because it's not really a class just for leaders today. I want to leave that there. And rather focus on how does Jesus define leadership? Jesus defines it as whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus defines a concept here called servant leadership. And he said to lead is to serve, and to serve is to lead. And Jesus himself set the example in explaining this concept. So if we think about the life of Jesus, how did Jesus lead by serving? What was his first miracle? Who knows what was the first miracle that Jesus did? Anybody? Go. No? He turned water into wine. What a way to serve! To serve people. Why? That is how Jesus started his ministry. Not with a miracle that calmed the storm or raised people from the dead, but he started with a miracle that served people, and that set the tone for his life. For his life of And what kind of leader starts like that? But Jesus didn't start by leading, by telling people what to do, and ordering them around, and he started by serving. And then he followed that up with dedicating his life to setting people free. He came to earth, even though he was fully divine, by adopting the position of a servant, coming from on high and lowering himself like a servant. What other examples can we think of that Jesus served practically in, in his ministry? How did he serve? He washed the disciples' feet. A role that normally a slave would fulfill, or someone who's poor. And he did not consider him above that task, above that lonely task mm-hmm. And other, other thoughts? Yes, it's at back He cooked
0: breakfast
1: for them. He cooked breakfast for them, mm-hmm. yeah. So, Jesus was a, uh, a sommelier, he was a, a, a chef,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was a cleaner. Mm-hmm. What other ways did he serve?
0: 5, he fed the
1: 5,000. He fed the 5,000. He was not just a chef, he was a master chef. A caterer. A caterer. Yes, he was a caterer. I guess when you get to that level, you're not just a chef, you're a caterer. Yes. A healer, yes. He was was just like today, we see doctors, nurses, uh, those who heal as people who serve others. So, how can we define this word serve? To be a servant, what does it mean to be a servant, apart from the examples that we talked through? What do you think? What, what does it mean to serve someone? If I am a servant or I, I come to serve others, using, using what you have, whether it's a gift or a thing or time, to the benefit of others. That's a great definition. Thanks, Danny. Any other thoughts? Joe? Meeting the needs. Meeting the needs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Sam. Mm-hmm. What's your hand up, Sam? Yeah,
0: I was going to say sometimes to serve, is to lower your actual standards,
1: to meet the needs of the Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To, to, to to kind of lower yourself to, to, to the needs of others. To meet the needs of others. If I think about serving, it's it's doing something or giving something to someone who either they do not have the time to do it, or they do not have the strength to do it, or the energy to do it, or the capacity to do it. Uh, Sometimes we serve by doing something that people could have done themselves. Like one of my small acts of service, which I'm really proud of, but it's actually a silly little thing. (laughs) is I make my wife a cup of coffee every morning. Now, can she do it herself? She she makes a decent cup of
0: coffee.
1: (laughs) Uh, Does she have the time to do it? Uh, Usually, yes, she does. Does she have the capacity and the energy? Mostly. But I still do it for her anyway. So... Service is not just doing something which someone cannot do for themselves or can do for themselves. It could be any of those. Sometimes it's doing something for someone beyond what they could have or would have done themselves. Jesus said, when someone asks you to go a mile with them, go two miles. When someone asks your... I'm not sure what the modern fashion terms is, but let's say when someone asks your t shirt, then give him your coat as well. You need trainers. trainers. Need new trainers. And you need new trainers. <laughs> Most of my shoes come from either my kids as hand me ups or from the charity shops. So
0: <laughs>
1: can't help you there, Danny. I'm sorry. Uh, put it in your Christmas list. If you're a good boy, then uh, you never know. You may get lucky. But that was was the example of Jesus. So many times, he served people by doing something which they could have done themselves. The disciples could have washed their feet. Or by going beyond what someone asked. Meeting needs that they either did not have the energy, the capacity, or the faith even in themselves to meet those needs. When Jesus talks about this concept, when he says, if we want to be great, we need to serve. We need to become a servant of all. The Greek word here is called dolos, and it's a really interesting word. In in today's world, when we talk about slavery, it is like, oh, it's a terrible thing. We don't want slavery in this world. And in that sense, Neither the Bible nor Jesus is very politically correct in our modern framework. But this term, dolos, or dolos, talks about a servant or a slave. Uh, it's translated sometimes in the older, older translations as a bond servant or a bond slave. What is that? That is someone who out of their own will completely voluntarily sold themselves into slavery. Now whatever the reasons may have been for that could have been various, but it's someone who made a choice and said, you know what, whatever my situation is, whatever my reason is, but I am willing to sell myself to become someone else's slave, a willing slave. That's the word that Jesus used when he says we need to become a slave to all. It's important that we understand that. Jesus is not saying, oh, you know... Slavery is good, and let's, let's make some slaves and get some slaves. It's a willing self-sacrifice into slavery. That's the kind of service that, uh, that Jesus talks about. Now, what is this nature of service that, 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 uh, that Jesus talks about? This bond servant, self-slavery. In Luke 17, if you want to uh, turn your Bibles there, you're welcome. Otherwise, you're welcome to listen as well. Luke 17, verse 7, Jesus speaks and he says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say,
0: Prepare my supper,
1: get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So, you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The nature of this service, when we serve, the heart should be one of what Jesus says, it's not one of even expecting thanks. The service that Jesus talks about is not one that we do for the glory, so that we can be seen and be thanked and show this kind of humility that you see on LinkedIn nowadays. You know, when people say, "Oh, I'm so humbled to be named employee of the month,"
0: <laughs> so that the whole world knows. <laughs>
1: That's not the kind of service that Jesus is talking about. Here. He says, actually, a bond servant, the bond slave, doesn't even expect thanks. It doesn't expect to be called out. In fact, it's to your detriment to be called out. I was thinking about some examples, some great examples of service in in the congregation. I thought, shall I name the people when uh, when my wife and myself were uh, suddenly unemployed and homeless? That took us into their homes. And I thought, no, because Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Otherwise, you may lose your reward. This service that Jesus is talking about is anonymous. And if you stand up and proclaim it, then the reward that goes with that service is a reward in heaven and somehow be lost because the motivation changes. This service that Jesus talks about is is one that is quietly working behind the scenes. That doesn't look for thank yous. It doesn't look for acknowledgement. It doesn't look for glory. It doesn't look for fame. It doesn't look for importance and to be made the leader because you serve. And then the third characteristic of the service, in Mark 9, the previous chapter in verse 41, when Jesus talked about this concept of becoming a slave to all, he says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. Because you belong to the Messiah. Because you belong to Jesus. When we serve people, we serve Jesus. And that is an amazing thought. To think, how can I serve the King? I can serve the King by something as simple as going to my brother or sister in Christ and giving them a cup of water in they thirst Such a small act. This service that Jesus talks about is serving each other. Serving each other's needs. Being aware of the needs. It doesn't take a lot. Some of us may have served just by showing up today. By being here. By being an encouragement to those around us. Some of us may have served by... Praying this morning for someone else. Or sharing with someone that I will pray for you. Small ways to serve. But even in those small ways, Jesus says, you serve me. This kind of service never ends. It's not like we will run out of strength or energy or capacity Or money or time to be able to serve like Jesus wants us to serve. Because it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, we all have the same amount of time in a day. We all have the same heart and mind and voice to pray with, to speak to people. Serving doesn't necessarily mean we have to physically do something. A, servant work, a servant's work is never done. And that is it what God has prepared us for. In Ephesians it says, God has prepared us for works of service through his grace. That was the very purpose of God's grace being poured out into our hearts and our lives. Was for works and a life of service. What happens if we stop serving? Now, who knows who Nicolai, Nicola, Nicolai, Nicolo? Nicolò Paganini was. Anybody ever knows who Nicola Paganini was? Paganini? Yes, Paul, you're a musician. He made didn't make violence. He made violence? And not, I don't think he actually made he violence. Played. He played violence, yes. He was the virtuoso of his time as a violin player. Uh, I think he lived in the late 1700s, up to about 1820 or something like that. Uh, he also composed many violin concertos and, and fantastic violin music. Um, now, he, he was, in his time, he was famous throughout, uh, throughout Europe. Uh, he was like, I don't know, the Ed Sheeran of his day, or whoever is nowadays very popular. Tell who's popular nowadays? Music wise. Yeah. What? Eh? You're not sure. Who's your favourite musician? What? Eh? Sure. Ed Sheeran. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, so, Paganini was like the Ed Sheeran of his time. And um, he, uh, uh, he was, I mean, he was a, a fantastic violin composer, but also a player. And he originally had a very valuable violin called an Amati, which is uh, the violin manufacturer. And uh, even uh, until today, there are certain violin manufacturers that are worth millions, like Stradivarius. is a very famous violin manufacturer that they sell for literally for millions. Um, But uh, Paganini had a a bit of a weakness. Um, He was a gambler. And uh, he actually lost his favorite, very expensive Amati violin Uh, in a gambling incident, shall we call it. Um, And it was without a violin to perform. So there was a very generous businessman who who donated him an old neglected uh, violin that was uh, made by a a guy called Guarneri. Uh, It was manufactured in 1743. So it was already a good 50 years old by the time uh, Paganini started playing it. And when Paganini started playing this, this violin, he was so impressed by it, by, by, by the richness of the sound, that he called it Il Canone, which is the canon. Um, it was such a powerful sound that came out of this violin. And it became his favorite instrument that he played until he died. And then, in his, uh, in his will, in his final will and testament, he donated this violin to the city of Genoa and it's still there in the Palazzo uh, Doria Tursi, it's a museum in Genoa, and it's now considered a a national treasure. If it's played today they have a police escort to take it to the concert hall to where it's been been played. So this violin is now, where are we now, 2021, so it is about 250 years old, 270 years old. What they realized is that a musical instrument like a violin especially because it's made of wood it's all natural woods and and, uh, materials that if it's not played it deteriorates Mm -hmm. to the point where it actually dries out the oils in the wood dries out it loses its quality and its sound where to the point at some point it's it's not worth anything to anybody So, there's actually someone appointed, a guy called Mario Trabuccio, and his job is to play this violin regularly. That's his job. So that the violin's quality can be preserved. So that the violin's sound quality is preserved. And this violin is so famous that uh, once a year there's an uh, international competition Where a top violinist gets selected for the opportunity to play this violin. What if this violin stopped serving its purpose and it just became a display object in a cabinet when people came and looked at it and said, Oh, wow, that was Paganini's violin. I wonder how it sounded. And the curator of the museum would say, Well, sorry, we don't know because it's never been played. And when we try and play it today, it sounds terrible. This kind of service and servanthood that Jesus talked about, it has no end. It never ends. We're called to serve until the day we die. And Jesus himself set the example in this in John. It says having loved those that he chose says he loved them to the very end And even here in our text in verse 45 Jesus is again our example He says for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the mindset that Jesus had. I am here to serve. And to serve to the point of giving his life for those that he served. That is how Jesus defined leadership. By serving. And I don't know what the answer to your question your answers were to those two questions, am I a leader and am I a servant? But if your answer to am I a servant was yes, then you may not know it, but your answer to am I a leader is also yes. Because in God's eyes, those who serve are the real leaders. That is the example that Jesus sent. We're going to have communion now, thinking about that example of Jesus. About his body that was broken on the cross. And as we have the bread, we think about that body. As we have the wine, we think about his blood that was spilt on the cross. What is the meaning of that? Well, Jesus says... He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That was the ultimate act of service. What is a ransom? What do you know what is a ransom? Help me out. Who knows what a ransom means? at the back Trisha? Money pays for Someone's Trisha. Money paid for someone's release, yes. For someone or something's release. Nowadays, you get ransomware attacks.
0: <laughs>
1: it's like when a company gets attacked in cyberspace with software and the computers get taken over. It's like, well, if you want a computer back, then pay us some Bitcoin and uh, you can have your computer back. Um, they according to ransomware. A ransom is paid to release someone. And it says Jesus came to give his life as a ransom many he came to make the payment to set many free every time I think about this I just struggle to wrap my head around this um, some years ago quite a few years ago now I think of it uh, when we were in, uh, living in Amsterdam my wife worked for the Royal Tropical Institute and her work involved traveling traveling a lot to Africa and doing uh, doing development work and, uh, and so on and usually it was it involved going to big cities and going to hotels and conference centers and meeting with all kinds of important people and planning things like national health and development plans and, and, and things like that but occasionally she traveled uh, beyond that outside that those kind of big city places and there was once she went to a country, I'm trying to remember, it was either Ethiopia or Uganda. It was kind of North East Africa. And uh, she said, oh, she's like, once she's gone to the capital city, they go, they're doing this trip somewhere up north. I was like, oh, where are you going? And she gave me a name and I looked on Google Maps. Where is this place that she's going to? And uh, it was right up in the north of the country near the border. And when I opened Google Maps... I was like, where is this place? And there was this dotted line. And then above it was another dotted line where the other country started. You know, normally if you look on a map, there's like a solid line where that's the border. But here, they were like an area surrounded by dotted lines. So I zoomed in on it. It's like, well, oh, what's going on here? Why is there a dotted line here? And it's like, well, this border is disputed and that border is claimed by the, that country and the other border is claimed by the other country and therefore... It's not clear what happens in this dotted border area. And I looked at this like, my wife's going to this place? (laughs) So I immediately got a bit like, ooh, this doesn't look too good to me. What are these dotted borders? And I googled it a bit. And the next thing I I saw was that, oh, this area is well known for especially uh, Westerners, Europeans, being taken captive and held for ransom. By the rebels in that area, I'm like, "This is not a good idea. <laughs> she shouldn't be going there." And then I was like, "What if my wife gets captured and being held ransom? How do you deal with something like that? What is the price? Is it a price at which I would say?" Sorry, guys, I'm not paying that.
0: <laughs> you, can, you can keep her.
1: <laughs> now, we don't have the perfect marriage, so let me just make that clear. Um, we, we do have our issues from time to time, but, but I do love it enough that I, I just can't imagine there being a limit to that, to that amount.
0: It's
1: unimaginable. I'm like, no, whatever I have. Take it, take it all. You can take my pension, my house, my whatever I have. You can take my car, you can take my shoe, anything. I can't imagine there being a limit. And then I thought, but what if they asked me for my son? I said, no, nah, we don't want money. To get your wife back, just send us your son. What a choice. What a choice. That's a choice that God faced. Our father. When we were held captive by sin and Satan claimed the ransom, and he said, God said, how much do you want? No, no, I don't want money. Just send me your son. What a choice what if I had to have that conversation with my son and say son your mom's being held captive but to free her you have to go in her place I can send him but I can't live with my conscience if it's not his own choice and Jesus said father I will go as we read here in Mark, Jesus said, I will be the servant and I will give my life as the ransom for many. In mm-hmm. bread and a wine, let's reflect on that ransom that Jesus paid so we can be set free.